Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, Tumais, Tumas, Saras, the laws of impurity due to biblical leprosy, Pedic Achad Osar, chapter 11. Not to be confused with the bankruptcy, chapter 11. Pedic Achad Osar, chapter 11, Aleph, paragraph 1. Up to now, we learned about the laws of impurity and details and details. Now we're learning about how one segues from impurity to becoming, to achieving purity. Aleph 1, Taras, Mitzvah, so the first thing that Rambam says is purifying the leper, Mitzvah, Asay, is one of the biblical commandments. As well as shaving the leper, when he becomes purified, it is a positive commandment. And earlier, prior to the beginning of these laws, the Rambam enumerated all of the biblical commandments, and these commandments were, of course, within them. The Rambam enumerated eight biblical commandments, and these commandments were in the. How do we go about purifying the leper? So here the Rambam first gives us a shopping list. Maybe we bring, the person should bring. Mizrak, a vessel, a bowl, a container. Shelcheres of earthenware. Chodosh, brand new, not used. The Kabbalahi, it's Kabbalah, it's tradition that this earthenware container, Shehiyah Chodosh, must be new. Venais and the Seichah, and he places within this container, Reviyas, a minimum size of a Reviyas, which is one of the halachic measures, a quarter of a log, or 2.91 ounces. That's the Reviyas. Mayim Chayim, of living water. And we talk about living water, we talk about the details and qualifications of what makes living water earlier in the laws of the Red Heifer. Haruyin, the Kaddish, which are fit for the sanctification of these waters, a son may to make them into the red heifer mixture. So, so far we have the new earthenware container, we have the minimum revius of living water, Bashir Zeh, and this size, this minimum, Medibri Seifrim, is rabbinic. Or maybe he then brings Shtetsipodim Durer to Hades, two birds, and the Rambam uses the word, uses the Mishnah Durer, again, there are varying opinions, some people say Durer means housebroken, birds who are comfortable in a house, others say it's just the opposite, free spirit birds, Durer means free, Tsipor Durer, a free bird. The latter-day commentary say this refers to a sparrow species of a bird, tahedes, which are pure, l'shem, and these birds are used, they have to be taken <coughs> for the purpose of taras, taras, the purification ritual of leprosy. And as it says, and he shall take lamitaher, for the person who is becoming purified, the taking of these birds has to be with this kavanah in mind. And he chooses between these two birds, or sparrows, the better one, and he slaughters it. Al hamayim, over the water, which is in the new earthenware container. And he squeezes out the blood, until the blood is obviously recognizable in the water, so the water became red or reddish, bloody. And then he digs a hole, and he enters, he buries, the slaughtered bird, before him. Although this aspect is not enumerated in the Chumash, this is a tradition from the oral law. Moving right along to the ingredients we require, he then takes, as a piece of cedar wood, how long, when I was a kid, they used to say, how long is a Chinaman? How long? Never mind. The commandment is, it should be at least a cubit long, and the thickness should be like the quarter, a quarter of the thickness of a bedpost, of the foot of a bed. Of the foot of a bed. The Azave, and then he has to take a hyssop plant. We learned extensively about hyssop plants earlier in the Red Heifer Laws. A hyssop plant or Levi that does not have an additional name. In other words, it should not be a Chinese hyssop plant or a southern or a northern or it should just be a plain hyssop plant because any other name attached to its title means it's the wrong kind. As we explained, the same exact identical law in the laws of the Red Heifer. A pochasmi tefach, it should be at least a tefach, a handbreadth, at least minimum according to the Kalachomish, 3.15 inches. Ushnitelas, and a piece of crimson dyed thread. Mishkol a shekel, weighing the weight of a shekel. A coin called a shekel. A silver coin of the Talmudic era, equivalent to 19.2 grams in contemporary measure. So that's the weight, 19.2 grams of this crimson thread. Vim tomoy, posloi, opsoloi, kitzvias, hatcheles. If he used the dye for any other purpose other than this, it's disqualified just like the rule of dyeing the blue wool. But it's this. All of these measures are all taught by Hashem to Moshe at Mount Sinai, even though they're not written in the Torah. 
and he takes with the three of these the living bird. Remember, we have two birds. One was smaller than one is the living. And the above four of the list, if one is missing one, they stop one another from being an appropriate procedure of the ritual. Furthermore, there's another qualification here. That piece of cedar branch, and that hyssop branch, should be scalful if they were peeled rather than being barky. Sulin, they are not fit to be used. Kedah then binds the hyssop with the cedar. Bilshain shows a hiddish with this string that we talked about, the crimson string. And he takes the tip of the wings and the tip of the tail of the living bird, the table, and he immerses Arbaton, all four of them, Banayim in water, Shebakli, in the container, or Badam Shalayim, with the blood there. So he now immerses all four of these in this mixture of blood water in the container. Umaza, he then sprinkles Sheba upon him seven times, Al Achar on the back of the hand, Shomitsayra. And again, here is my hand showing you to the camera, not the front of the hand, but the back of the hand of the leper. He then sends the bird, the living bird, to freedom. The case of Mishalcha, there is a specific Ritual and rules and regulations with regard to that as well. Aimed by ear, he stands in the city, Vizerka, and casts the bird, outside the city walls, but he doesn't turn, not to the sea, not to the city, not to the desert. As it says, outside the city limits, facing the field. Sholcha or Shilcha, if he sends the bird away, it makes a big U turn and comes right back. Chazen or he sends it again. I feel the may upon them even 100 times, and that's a lot of times. And the commentaries explain that once it goes into the field area, then he accomplished his mission, even though it comes back later, no problem. Afterwards, the Kohen will do the ritual of shaving the leper. How does the Kohen shave the leper? Mavirtari passes a razor, I'll call Sorihanira, over all visible flesh. And as we will learn, it's interesting that this mitzvah actually violates a negative commandment. Because in the Torah it says that a man may not use a razor on his beard and sideburn area. Here, this positive mitzvah overpowers that negative mitzvah. The Kohen has to use a razor on the leper's entire body, even his beard area, <coughs> even his sideburn area, which is a clear violation of a negative commandment. But this is an example of ase or esse, doche, los ase. A positive commandment under certain circumstances supersedes the negative commandment. I feel a base hashachi, even the underarm areas which have hair, or base however, even the pubic hairs. Sayer shall call goof hair upon the entire body. Until this person becomes like a cucumber, or like a squash. Shenem, as it says in the Pasuk, es kol sa'ari, all of his hair. In Cain, if all the Torah is telling us is all of his hair, lama nemereshe, it was going to be We have a rule that says when there's a general statement, followed by a specific statement, then we learn something from the specific statement. Here, he qualifies head, beard, eyebrows. What do we learn from the qualification? If in fact it's all the hair throughout the body, only hair similar to head hair, beard hair, eyebrow hair, which means external hair outside the body. To preclude, say, are the hairs within the nose. I guess we could say within the ears. Within any body cavity. Because that's not visible. But all the other visible hairs must be shaved by the coin with the razor. <coughs> by the way, please do not try this at home. And afterwards, my insurance company made me say this. He washes because of his garments. And the expression of washing garments in this context means he immerses them in a mikvah. But he immerses his own body in a mikvah. We're talking about the leper. The yitar will become purified by the time of the no longer bring about impurity just by entering into a situation a building or what have you, or just by laying down or sitting down on implements on which we lie or sit without touching them, <coughs> such as a stack of chairs or what have you. He may now enter into the wall of the city. Because up to now, the leper had to be outside the city walls. That's the expression, the leper colony, away from everybody. He has to count seven days. During these seven days, he is forbidden to engage in intimacy with his wife. As it says, outside of his tent, outside of his house. It doesn't mean he has to sleep on the porch. But he is forbidden to engage in husband-wife intimacy. That is, if the leper is a male. However, the Rambam says, if the leper is a female, which is certainly possible, a female leper, Muteras is permitted to engage with in intimacy with her husband. That is the law that the Rambam concludes this very long paragraph one with. Paragraph two, moving right along, seven days. 
or Kol Shivas Hayyamim, all of the seven days of Eodis, Adayin Hu'ab Atum of the leper still retains the categorization of the father of impurity, which means he's a serious primary source of impurity, even though he cannot come into the city and he doesn't contaminate stacks of cots and chairs. But still, he's, what he does contaminate, what he does make impure is Metame. He defiles Adam, any human being he touches, Mekalem, any utensil he touches, Memaga by touching them. However, Loibemasa, not by carrying them, if he doesn't touch them while he's carrying them. How could that be? If you have something in a basket, you're carrying the basket, but you're not. Touching the item in the basket. Shariwayman, as it says, well, comes on the seventh day of his seven days. The Chibis is going to be washes his garments, which means he immerses his garments, etc. And Lama, this teaches you that till then, Shariwayman, he was causing his own garments to become defiled. That's why he has to immerse them again in the mikvah after seven days. And obviously, just as he caused his own garments to become impure, he caused any human being whom he touched to become impure. That's the rule. What's the rule? Shakol Hamitama begotten. Any person that causes garments to be defiled, Metama Odom causes people to be defiled. So the fact that the Torah says at the end of the seven days he has to immerse his garments in the mikvah, that means that he can defile anything he touches, utensils, and people. Okay, so now it's the end of the seven days. He's a newly shaved, recovering leper. What happens now? On day seven, the Kohen gives him a second shaving. The Kohen shaves him a second time, exactly like the first time. And he washes his garments, meaning he immerses his garments in a mikvah, and he immerses in a mikvah. End of seven days, he should be careful. He should not make other people... I'm sorry, he becomes impure that now he will no longer make others impure. Marayui now fits into the category, like any other person who immersed in the mikvah during the day, waiting for sunset. But in the intern, as we learned earlier, he can't eat tithing, but he can't eat truma. But when the sun sets, he can eat truma, and that's the famous beginning of the Mishnah, the beginning of the entire Mishnah. When can we read the Shema at night? From when the Kohen goes in and can eat his truma. Why? Because the sun completely set. This is called Herib Shemesh. Now, there is another dimension, and that is, and we learned a whole long set of laws about this, he is still mechusar kaporo. He's still lacking sacrifices, which he has to bring the next day. Hevi kaporo, so only after he brings his sacrifices, his atonement offerings, which can be brought from the day following the immersion and on. Then and only then can he begin to eat sacrifice food. As we explained, Gimel 3, when he experiences these two experiences of being shaved, he must use a razor. With a non-razor, or even if he used a razor, he left two hairs or more unshaved, then it doesn't count. He accomplished nothing. Who shaves him? The barber? No. Himself? No. A licensed Kohen has to shave him. If he left two hairs, in the first shaving process, but he cut these two hairs off in the second shaving process, seven days later, that's fine. What's fine? He had one shaving, but only one was correct. So the second one becomes the first one. And now he needs a second one seven days later. This process, when can it be done? The answer is, it can be done all day, from sunrise to sunset. But not before sunrise, and not, be- not after sunset. The shaving ritual of the leper, Utvilose, and his immersion. And his sprinkling ritual, these three processes, one does not preclude the other from taking effect. He still has to do them, but if he did one and not the other, that's fine. Everything else precludes everything else from taking effect. And there's a lot of conversation as to exactly what this means. Some say it actually achieved the goal of purification, regardless whether the other two were performed or not. Again, this is not the setting to go into the thorough debate between the Raivin and other commentaries and so on. Hey, shchitas hatzipur, the slaughtering of the bird we talked about, vatiglachas, and the shaving, and the sprinkling seven times on the back of the hand, all of this must be done during the day. Ushar kalmasa, but all the other details may be performed, whether day or night. Elu ba'anoshim, these are done with men. Of all the others, the rest could be performed by men or by women. Makes no difference whether the person who performs it is a man or a woman. Elu these three, which means the slaughter of the bird, the shaving, and the sprinkling. Bekonim must be done by a kohen, a male. But all the other details, may be performed not only by a woman but also by an Israelite. 
Now the Rambam says something which is not so simple and extensively discussed, but we must bear in mind, as I introduced earlier, this is not a sacrifice. This is a ritual. So this purification ritual, Neheges Ba'oretz, is observed in Israel, or Bechutz Ba'oretz, theoretically could be observed in Panama as well, anywhere in the world, in Kentucky. During the time the Holy Temple stands, not during its time. So this is not directly connected to the Holy Temple. There's no sacrifice here. Even though the leper who becomes purified, the next day has to bring sacrifices. But that's something else. The Chayin Shatime Mitzvah, the Kohen who becomes impure, it's a mitzvah to make him pure. In other words, the Kohen who pronounced him impure, it's preferable that this same Kohen should purify him. Remember, we learned that only a Kohen could pronounce him impure. So better this same Kohen. To purify him, or to defile him. Everybody is fit to purify the leper, even someone who happens to have his own impurity due to a state of Zov, an abnormal, intimate flow. Even someone who is exposed to death, because one type of impurity has nothing to do with the other. The only person who cannot perform this is another leper. Nor should it be done two at a time, no wholesale. This is a rule that mitzvahs should not be performed in bundles. You don't bundle mitzvahs together, like you do with toxic real estate, you bundle them together. And this is a very general principle. Now, just to share one of the notes here in the Mosnaim Rambam, where the Rambam comes out with a statement and says, this can be done in Israel, out of Israel, during the time of the Beis Amigdash, not during the time of the Beis Amigdash. So in his commentary to the Mishnah, remember I talked about the fact that there is an entire tractate called Negoyim, plagues, which deals with leprosy. Chapter 14, Mishnah 13, the Rambam writes in his commentary that the purification of a person afflicted with Saraz has no connection to Eretz Yisrael, no connection to the Holy Temple. Now, in that same source, the Rambam questions why one would perform the second shaving in the present age. Because in that instance, the goal of the second shaving, the purification of the person, is not performed in a complete way. Now, as mentioned above, this shaving involves the violation of negative commandments. We talked about this earlier. So shaving the beard and the payas, and the principle that the performance of a positive commandment supersedes a negative commandment, applies only when the positive commandment is fulfilled in its entirety. So here, because there's no base on English, you don't, prefer, you don't perform this commandment in its entirety. You don't come full circle. And the Rambam does not resolve that question. So really, we don't really know whether this is done outside of Israel or not, when there's no base on English or not. We know theoretically the Rambam writes it, but practically we're not sure. Because it presents several problems. The Rambam does, however, cite the Sifra, which states that a Talmudic era rabbi, Rabbi Tarfan, performed this purification of people affected by Saras in the diaspora, in the, era, in the era after the destruction of the temple. So we do have one testimony of somebody having done this in the latter era. Okay. Zion 7, 8 eras, the cedar wood, the Ezeb and the hyssop plant, and the crimson thread, which a particular leper was purified. They don't get used up. You can use the same grouping of cedar hyssop, and crimson, to use other, to purify other lepers. The bird we sent into freedom. There's no reason we cannot use the same bird for other lepers. As long as we perform the mitzvah of having sent it into freedom. It went into the field, and now somehow it's here, that's fine. There's no reason we can't even eat that bird. It performed its mission. But this does not apply to the slaughtered bird. The bird was slaughtered. To benefit from... From the moment of its slaughtering, we are precluded from benefiting from it. It's still forbidden to benefit from this slaughtered bird. Because an inappropriate slaughtering is still called slaughtering. In fact, if somebody eats a minimum olive's worth of this slaughtered bird from the leper purification ritual, it transgresses Allah say, a positive commandment as well as a negative commandment. When the Torah gives a list, this is what you shall not eat of them. And then he enumerates all the forbidden birds. So the question is, what is this categorization, including... Zeh, the word Zeh, the rabbis includes the bird slaughtered for the purification process of the leper. When Aaron says to Hedor, a pure bird you may eat, but others like Tehel you may not eat, a negative commandment deduced from a positive commandment has the standing of a positive commandment. Has eight. The following are situations which may not be the source of these birds. If there's an entire city condemned to destruction due to idol worship, which is a mitzvah we learned about earlier, others say this is a mitzvah which never happened, 
because there are too many details that have to be met. But still, you don't take birds from this condensed city, because the birds are condemned as well. You don't take birds that were exchanged for idolatry. You don't take murderous birds if the birds kill the person. These are all the scenarios where the bird should not be used from that source. And the commandment is, if possible, that the two birds should be lookalikes, like twins. The claim of height, or bedomim, the value, or kichos and kachas, should be taken as once. At the same time, that's the best way to perform the mitzvah. However, bottom line is, even if they're not equal, or they were not taken at the same time, one today and one tomorrow, two birds, for the sake of the ritual purification of a man, they can be used to purify a woman. If they were taken for the purpose of purifying a woman from leprosy, they can be used for a man. We haven't even touched upon the laws of leprous houses, but what if they were taken to purify a leprosy? Nine. one of them, and they found out that it was not a bird which would be considered drer, as I interpreted it, sparrow. He can take another bird, one good bird, and then he takes, he found out the second bird was not good, and he'll take another one. But the fact that the first bird, which was the wrong type of bird, was designated, no problem, you can have it for dinner. He slaughtered one, but it's a it was found to be unfit due to kosher laws, it's a trefa. Take a second mate. But he shouldn't look at and he can benefit. He can't eat it, obviously, it's a traitor, but he can benefit from it. And ten, the closing paragraph of this chapter, the blood was spilled out. See, we learned earlier that the blood has to be sprinkled on the back of the hand of the leper. What if the blood was spilled out and he didn't do that before it spilled out? This is a problem. Then he just lets the freed bird remain until it dies on its own, which we learned similar comparisons earlier in the laws of sacrifices. And when it does, he should pour out the blood and take out, take two others, because he has to wait until it dies before he can take two others. That's if it dies before the blood. That's if it dies before the sprinkling. But if it dies after the sprinkling, that's a whole different law. End of chapter eleven. Rambam, Mishnah Torah. Hilchais Tumas, Tzara's, the laws of the impurity brought about by biblical leprosy. Pedic, excuse me, Shnei Osar, chapter 12. Tzara's Bigodim. We're now moving to the leprosy involving garments. We know there are three categories of leprosy. Human, garment, and houses. Leprosy of garments, Kigris, first of all, must have a minimum of a grease size on the garment. And we've talked about the fact that a grease is like the size of a U.S., an American dime, used often in measurements of impurity. Kitsaras Odom, like the minimum measurement of leprosy of humans. Avil, however, if the garment had less than this grease size of a sign of leprosy, the garment is pure. So that less than a grease is not considered leprosy at all on a garment. Now, what kind of signs are there for leprosy of garments? There are three signs of impurity. There is a very strong, intense green. And the Rambam explains that this is why it's called double green. Mucho green. Adam Dam, a very intense red. So if the garment is intense green, or if the garment is intense red, and as we will learn, leprosy only comes about on white garments. I'm sorry, and spreading. The fact that the leprosy will expand. So intense green, intense red, and expansion of the lesion of leprosy. All three of these signs of impurity are specified in the Torah. Green is as green as it comes, mucho green. A lot of green. And here the Rambam brings down Kichnaf, Hatobos, like the wings of a peacock. And like the leaves of a date palm, that's how green. And red, is intense, strong, powerful red. Like a fine scarlet thread. And these two colors, can combine with one another. In other words, if there is a half a grease of intense red, a half a grease of intense green, they can combine with one another to make a grease, which is the minimum size, the dime size, for leprosy of garments. With the color of intense green or intense red, then this garment is, as we will learn, isolated or quarantined. If it maintained and held to this very strong green or very strong red for two weeks, and we learn about week one and week two, then the Kohen definitively decides it is impure, and what is done with this garment is, it is burned, as the Torah tells us. So that is the end of an impure garment, it is simply burned. 
And so also the third sign, and that is expansion. Imposo, if the if the tzaras, if the leprosy on the garment expanded, machlitin, then it is definitively declared impure, but and it is burnt. So if it maintains the intense green or red for two weeks, or if it expanded, it is burnt. Kate's not, how does it work? The Ramah spells it out. Begit the garment, shenuda ben negit, akrafei adam, which developed a very intense green or red color. Masgida, he isolates it, he quarantines it for shivas yom for seven days. Or bashmi on the seventh day, the kohen reyex inspects it in posa. If it's red, machlitin, he definitively declares it impure. The seder, and he burns, it's called abegit, the entire garment, gone. And we have to bear in mind that those days, it was difficult to purchase a garment, to have a garment made. Today, people have a closet full of clothes in many communities. There's a lot of uh, affordability today, especially in the garment uh, department. Back then, people had two shirts, if they were rich. So to burn the garment is a big deal. What if it just maintained its color, but it did not spread? Or it spread, and it became lighter and dimmer than the intenseness of the green or red. Or it became even more green or more red, but it didn't spread. You should wash, and here we mean literally wash. The place of the plague, the Azgian in quarantine, the Shivas Yom for a second seven days. So this is the second set. At the end of the second week, which we define as the 13th day, because day seven is the seventh day of the first week, and the first day of the second week, so that day seven is counted twice, which is why the end of the second week is day 13. Reya, the Kohen, examines it. If it became lighter and developed a new color, it needs to be washed, and it is pure. But if it changed, it was intense green, and it became intense red. It was intense red, and became intense green. He merely rips out the place of the plague, and he burns what? Only that section. That which he cut out. And he sews in a patch, in the place where he took it out, so patches were popular. These days, you can buy uh, Levi's with patches. They cost a lot of money. At least uh, they did several years ago. I'm not sure what's in the Levi department today. And because he took care of it, he now dismisses, releases the rest of the garment. And he washes the whole garment the second time. And then he immerses it. And it is declared pure. But if it maintains the color, which it had during quarantine, you should definitively declare it impure. And burn the entire garment. Base too. Which was a very intense green. And it began to spread into an intense red. From green to red, the spreading was red. I show you Adam the more it was red, very intense red, and it spread. You're not creating intense green. Does this count as expansion? The answer is yes. This is considered an increase in expansion of the plague. What if there was a plague in the garment which at its center had a non-plague clean area without any plague in the center of this area in the garment? And during quarantine, the plague spread into this clean area in the center of the plague. Is this considered expanding? I would think so because it did expand. Says No, this is not considered expansion. And we learned a similar thing to this principle in the leprosy of people. It's not considered expansion until it expands to the outer perimeter of the plague area. Expansion in the inner perimeter is not called expansion. Because expansion of within is not considered spreading. Not with human leprosy, or garment leprosy, or house leprosy. If the plague spreads in garments, if it spreads to the area adjacent to it, even a little spreading is enough of a definitive sign to proclaim it impure about okay, but if it spreads to a more distant area on the garment, which means it skips, it jumps over an area and spreads somewhere distant, or if it returns to a state of leprosy, it must maintain the minimum size of the dime of the grease. Ketan, how does it work? If a garment was quarantined, isolated, and it developed a second plague area, large enough, as large as a grease, but distant from the original plague area for which it was quarantined, being that it has a minimum size of the grease, this new area, this is considered an increase, expanding, and it should be burned. But if it was less than a grease, Meaning, it's not big enough for a distant expansion, then we don't pay any attention. So also, the garment from which the plague was ripped out. Remember we learned earlier, you ripped a section of the, of the plague out of the garment. The end of the second week of the Shibiyana, as we just explained, and remember we put a patch on, and the plague returned. Size of a grease, you saw it, let it be burnt. So also, similar to human 
leprosy. If the plague spread after the coin released it, you sort of it should also be burnt. Hey, Nisha Mechabes, as a negative Shabbat we talk about washing the plague area in week one, because there should be no. As we explained, not only do you wash the plague area, but Sarah Lechabes, not negative Shabbat, you also need to wash a little bit around the plague area. Shanem, as it says, Ace Asher Bey, Hanegah, you wash the garment, which that plague is within. So you have to have a little garment too, a little unplayed garment. I'm just going to sip the tea I made a broth earlier. Some any plagues of garments which are washed. It's not just simple, you wash it in some water. But as we learned much earlier in the Rambam, Shiva Samamonim, we put it through a process of seven cleansing applications, seven chemicals, which we pass over the stain. Like we learned earlier in the laws of stains, as we explained in the section of Nida. And here, the Rambam brings down the quote from the laws of Yisurabiyah, chapter 9, 37 38. The seven detergents are one the saliva of a person who has not eaten yet. The morning saliva, that's a very powerful detergent. Beans that have been chewed. Urine that has become sour. Lye, that's L-Y-E. Natron, N-A-T-R-O-N. Cumin powder and bleach. Please do not try this at home. These are the seven detergents which one has to use to wash out and remove this plague, not just the cold water rinse. If the garment had the place of the plague torn out of it and a patch was sewn in, as we explained earlier. So now you have clean garment, new patch. And now a new Plague returns to the garment. There's no reason you shouldn't undo the patch and save it. You know, patches don't grow on trees. Except if they're tree patches. The rest of the garment must be burned because the plague returned. But if it returned to the patch, he burns the entire garment. And that's the story. Paragraph 7. This particular law has different interpretations. And as he brings down here, that our translation follows and will continue to follow through this halacha, the standard printed text of the Rambam's commentary to the Mishnah, others have a different interpretation. So here, his interpretation is if somebody takes a patch of cloth, that's Hatrila, mean Hamuzgar from the isolated garment, and then he sews it on a pure garment, and then it comes back. Say, if it's he burns the patch. If it came back on the patch, now the original garment must be burned. And now the garment in which the patch is sewn into has to be treated to see what develops. If it continues to maintain its strong color or it spreads, safe and not we burn the entire thing. Again, this paragraph has different interpretations as to what it applies to. If somebody comes with a garment to begin with, intense green or intense red, the coin has it isolated quarantine week after week. If it maintains its powerful color for two weeks, you start it should be burnt. But a garment which was quarantined and similar to what we learned with human leprosy. The, gar- the leprous condition spreads, the plague spreads to the entire garment. The whole garment becomes intense green or intense red. So he isolated it, and a week or two later, voila, it is intense green or intense red, the entire garment. Or he released him, he said, go, it's good. After he was released, after the garment was released, the whole garment turned to an intense green or intense red. This is parallel to the law of the leper who becomes leprous from head to toe. If he comes out of a state of purity, out of a state of impurity, he's now pure. And here, he says, if the blemish was washed and it spread, then the garment should be burned. And loose strands of the fabric of the garment extend beyond the fabric of the weave. Like coarse woolen blanket. So you have threads extending outside the area of the garment. And that develops a plague. It does not become impure. That's not part of the essence of the garment. Until the blemish appears, either in the fabric itself or the weave itself. And that's the meaning of the words in the verses dealing with leprosy of garments. The words are originally used with regard to the human head, the top of the head, the side of the head. What does it mean with regard to garments? So he says, refers to old worn out garments. refers to brand new garments. So in an old garment or a new garment, it has to be in the essence of the garment. Now that Rambam lays down this very important law that died garments, colored garments, do not at all take on the condition of leprosy. Whether they are man-made color, they died by man. They should swim in the shrine. Whether they died by heaven, colored wool, or whatever the situation is, it has to be white. And white can, is the only color of wool. 
that will become leprous. You have Erebe Shesi. You have the threads of the garment going two different directions. One of, one of them is colored, and one of them is white. Or the other way around. First he says, if the warp was colored and the wolf is white, or the wolf was colored and the warp is white, can this garment become leprous? So he says, the answer is, it depends what it looks like. If it looks white, it can. If it doesn't, it can't. It depends what's visible. What if the whole garment was less than three fingers by three fingers? Of the knit... It's not big enough to take on impurity with regard to plagues. What if it was woven less than three finger breaths? By three finger breaths. And it developed a plague. And then he made it larger and it's now three by three. It's pure because originally it was not three by three. What if the whole garment is made out of a combination of many patches? No patch has three inches, three fingers by three fingers. And he made of these small patches a garment. This garment made out of many patches may now become defiled by the plague. Because when something is sewn together, it's like it's woven together. And it's all considered one garment. A garment that's made out of a combination of many patches. What kind of patches? We just learned earlier about a garment made out of all white patches. No, not here. Some of the garments, some of the patches in this garment are colored. Some of them are white. We learned earlier that a garment of only white can become leprous. Color cannot become leprous. Here you have color and white patches. We need a nega beloved and a plague developed in a white patch. For that alone, he can be isolated, quarantined. And then if it sat for two weeks and continued to be there, the whole thing becomes impure. The should be burned. So also if it spread, how could it spread if there's a color one next to it? Well, it skips the color patch and goes to the next white patch. This is considered spreading. Even though there's a color patch in between. What if the entire garment was made out of color patches? And there's one patch. Of white, I feel like a grease, even if it's no larger than a grease, which is the size of a U.S. dime, pretty small. We need a Benoga and it developed a plague. For that alone, it must be quarantined. Shimomad Benoga, because if it, if it retains its consistent strength, did not become stronger or weaker. Shneshwas, and does it over two weeks into the 13th day. He saw it should be burned. End of chapter 12. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchis, Tumas Sarah, the laws of imperial leprosy. Pedic, Shlesha, also chapter 13. What kind of material could become leprous? I'm glad you asked. The leprosy of garments has no application. Unless we're talking about materials of wool and linen. That's one choice. Or the warp or the wolf is made of wool and linen. So that's one category, wool and linen. Or second category, any type of utensils or garments made of animal skin, leather. Whether it is tough or soft. When we talk about leather, even if it is naturally colored, because the animal had a colored skin, it can become leprous. However, felt is considered like garments. It can become impure through plagues. Intense. It can become impure through plague. Whether they were made of linen, they were leather. All garments made of linen do become impure through a garment plague. With the exception of garments belonging to a non-Jew. Like we learned earlier, the body of a non-Jew does not develop leprosy. It is a Jewish thing. Jews develop leprosy. Non-Jews, the law doesn't apply to them. So also their garments. Okay, so now what if if a Jew buys garments from a non-Jew? What's the deal? The moment that Jew owns them, it has to be treated as a brand new plague or whatever is on the garment. It should not come with its history. A garment that's made out of two mixtures, wool and linen, which is called shatnez, forbidden. can still have the impurity of plagues. What about camel's wool and sheep's wool? A mixture... Sheep's wool is wool. Camel's wool is uh, camel hair. It's a whole different ballgame. What if they spun together? So camel's hair does not have the possibility to become leprous. Wool, of course, does. So here, this is a mixture of sheep's wool and camel's hair. What's the deal? We actually learned a similar law to this earlier. If the majority is of camel's hair, it does not become impure. But if the majority is from sheep's wool, it does become defiled through plague. What if it's half-half? 50-50, it does become defiled. Well, I think the same law applies. The same law applies when it is mixed together between... Flax, which can become leprous, and he says the word canvas, some people translate it as canvas, other as hemp, H-E-M-P, are mixed together, because 
Flax does become leprous, and Congos does not. What about a sheep that's mo- whose mother is a goat? And yet whose father is a sheep. It's what we call an intermarriage. Between a sheep and a goat. Its wool does not defile in plagues. If the warp was linen and the woof was canvas or hemp. Or the warp is canvas or hemp. Or and the warp is flax. It cannot become defiled by plagues. So also, if either the warp or the woof were linen, or wool, and the rest were goat's hair, it cannot become defiled. So basically, we come back to the fact that it has to be wool or linen in order to become defiled, or a minority mixture of something else. What do you have raw? Animal hide that was not even processed, so it's not really, you couldn't call it leather. You know, the processing of animal hide is a complicated procedure, which we learned about extensively earlier. So being that it's not processed, it does not defile. So also raw mass of leather before leather implements were made from it. When we talk about leather utensils, like you can make shoes from leather, purses from leather, couches from leather, chairs from leather, anything can be made from leather. You can make uh, leather seats for cars. Mr. Rambam had a nice car. cannot become defiled with Utensils, vessels of leather. utensils of leather. As long as it is a created utensil, vessel, vehicle for leather, it's usable, then it can already take on impurity. It's not raw leather. Hey, what about the hides of sea animals? Does that count? No. Because they're marine, there is no plague. What if he connected something that grew from the ground? Even a strand. Or a thread. Of a domestic or wild animal. Process somewhat. He made furniture out of it. Utensils, vessels, vehicles. It does defile. Because it's mixed with regular leather. That's provided that it's really connected as we connect garments with the details of impurity. And he brings down here a minimum of two stitches. Five, eight, eight. No, we did it already. Six. Any utensil that is fit to become defiled by all other forms of defilement, other than leprosy. Even though what it does not become defiled by is the midras of a zov. A zov or a zova are the abnormal flow of male or female. Midras means they cause something to move. And the only thing that applies... Midras means they, the zov or the zova treads on them. And the only thing that is fit for that is something that is fit for sitting or lying, such as a chair or a stack of chairs or a cot or a bed or a stack of cots. So unless it's something you can sit on or lie on, it doesn't even have this possibility. Still, it can become impure through all other means of impurity, such as human corpse and animal corpse and so on. The same object can take on defilement of plague. Again, for example, and here he has an interesting list of things that can develop leprosy. The sail of a ship. A ship sail can develop leprosy. A barber's sheet. Mantle, covers of books. Belts. Or laces for shoes. The sandal or sandals. As long as they have the width of a grease, the American dime, and any other similar, can take on leprosy. Certainly other utensils. Certain pillows and covers, cushions, and so on. A leather drinking pouch and a carrying case, a leather attache case. Needing kedarkan should be seen and inspected normally. And it can spread from within to without, from without to within. So also anything that has an inside and an outside, that's finished. Zion 7, Sodin, Hamakumbot, Ashitis Mudabreas, Nigam. A sheet is creased and the leprosy is inside the crease, that's fine. You straighten it out and then the blemishes are inspected. The threads themselves, the warp and the woof. They shall send or they shall whether they are wool or linen or linen. Metamim become defiled, benigoyim with plagues, miyad mi shetobu, as soon as they are spun. So now we're talking about leprosy developing in the raw strands of the woof, of the whoop or the warp. Even though it has not been completed yet, the wool was not soaked in hot water, the linen had not been whitened yet. What is this minimum amount that has to be in the bowl of thread in order for it to be able to contact blemish? Blemishes? Enough to weave a cloth, three finger breadths by three finger breadths, both the warp of it and the wolf of it. Whether this particular thread was all warp or all wolf thread, however, if this bowl of thread was just made up of a bunch of separate threads, that doesn't count. When there are two balls of thread connected to each other with a thread, 
So also part of the warp thread is mounted over the top frame of the loom, and part of the warp thread over the bottom frame of the loom. So you have two sections of thread. One side of a cloak is connected to the other with one strand. The bottom line of these three double items, there's two parts to each item, is that leprosy developed in one part, the second part, even though it's connected by a thread, is pure. If the blemish was found in the weaving thread and in the warp that has not yet been woven, even part of it is in the garment. And part of it is in the thread. That is, it's impure. What if it's only in the warp? That the weaving is pure. What if it's only in the weaving? The thread is pure. If it appears in the blanket, say if it's anemia, you burn the threads. If it appears in the threads, I saw the entire the blanket is pure. Possibly anemia, if it's spread from the threads to the blanket, I saw the entire the blanket becomes pure. U10. A cloak develops leprosy. You can save its borders. Very often, cloaks have fancy borders, so you can remove the borders. I feel like even if the borders were woolen, Matsila could be saved, and this leprosy does not have to be burned. U11. Begin Musa Shitzvah and Machar Levikacham. Or if a garment was isolated because of a blemish, and then it was dyed, so it's no longer white. What happens then? Or if it was sold to a non Jew, no longer has Jewish ownership. Tawhir, it now becomes pure because it's not white, it's colored, and it doesn't belong to a Jew. Interesting law. If it became mixed with others and the identity of which one is leprous cannot be exactly ascertained. And of course, commentators want to know how it can be that you can't ascertain it. It's pretty obvious. Cool and the whole mixture becomes pure. It was cut and it was made into a Strand less than three by three, it's pure. We may benefit from it. There's one still left three fingers by three fingers. It maintains its impurity. So here we have ways of where things can become transformed from impure to pure simply by dyeing them or selling them or cutting them up. What if a garment has been definitively declared impure and got mixed up with others? The whole mixture becomes impure and has to be burned. And again, the question is, how could this happen? Leprosy is pretty obvious. I feel the echad become a even one in many thousand. And it may also be cut up into strands. They're all impure because it was declared impure. We also have also see the earlier halacha of eleven was it was isolated or quarantined. Here it's declared. Whether it's a garment or a leather utensil or the warp or the wolf, which was isolated or definitively pronounced impure. That takes on a serious form of impurity. It's the father level. The number one level of impurity, just like a person. Mitzvah is leprous, the whole double for all purposes. Meaning, the tamei will convey impurity by touching, carrying, or entering into the tent. And will cause a sleeping place or lying place to become defiled, even whatever is under a rock. In other words, if the garment is sitting on top of a rock, whatever is under it becomes impure. A plagued garment. Even a olive size is brought into a pure house. Everything in the house is declared impure. They know them with a man, they call them utensils. They all become first level impurity. Why? Because a piece of garment was born in the house. So that's serious. Any type of sitting or laying piece of furniture, chair or a cop, even under a stone, and the garment is on the stone, and he takes a kazayas of this garment. Above the stone, the sitting implement or the laying implement becomes impure. A patch which is three fingers by three fingers. Even though it's not heavy enough to have an olive's worth of weight, or mass, being the majority of it entered into a pure house, it makes it impure because it's three by three. How you have a kamazais? What if it has several olives worth of mass? Give shikas mekazais by stars. As long as one kazais entered into the house, uh, a pure house. Nikma apapi shakol shirachol mishmisinai. Even though all measures are transmitted by Hashem to Moshe on Mount Sinai. Anyway, the cholnega atzaras for any plague of leprosy, the lanosek or scold, the tzaras hadegel labayis or the leprosy of garment or house. Hikishi compares nigei the plague of the people, the nigei the bottom to the plagues of garments and houses. Vishamet sedu lemesani compares leprosy to death. Shemar lanosi kamais where it says with the story of Miriam, where Moshe prayed for her and said, please let her not be like a corpse. Maamais because I says a corpse brings about defilement only with the weight of a. Kazayis of an olive, Eilu Kazayis, even these were the Kazayis, so that's the minimum. Tesvah begadar amenugayim garments that are plagued. Meshachanesim chutzlir, they have to be moved to the outer limits of the city. We learned earlier that lepers have to be moved to the outer limits of the city in walled cities like Jerusalem. When it comes to garments, Ben Shaisel Mukapas Chaima, whether the city is walled like Jerusalem, Ben Shaisel Mukapas, or it's not walled, just a regular city like Pakoima. This makes garment leprosy even more severe than people leprosy. Because people, of course, we're talking about people leprosy is only from cities like Jerusalem. Garment leprosy is from any city, even though it's not walled. End of chapter 13.